All right. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Legal Tech Week, the show in which we talk about the top stories in legal tech and innovation with our panel of legal tech experts and journalists and bloggers. Uh, and uh, as everybody in the United States knows, there was a very important birthday this week. And no, I'm not talking about our country, but I'm talking about Stephanie Wilkins. So happy birthday to Stephanie. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Which, which means you get the honors of going first in terms of introducing yourself. Um, yes, I'm Stephanie Wilkins, Editor-in-Chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. I am one year older, and I'm not kidding. Everything has started hurting. I, I, there's no reason why, but I've had weird pains today. I'm going to blame the stupid heat, um, and that's all I got. <laughs> just since your birthday. It just started. Yeah, literally yesterday. <laughs> I don't think it works that way, but okay. Uh, and Yeah, okay. Um, uh, Victor? Hi, everyone. My name is Victor Lee. I am assistant managing editor for the ABA Journal. Um, I went swimming yesterday for the first time in like months and like my knee hurt like really badly <laughs> afterwards. So yeah, I, I definitely feel that. All right. And uh, our sound effects manager, Joe Patrice. All right. Well, I, let me see here. I'm, I'm, I'm testing that. Um, but yeah, I'm Joe Patrice from <laughs> okay. Above the Law. I um, You need like a groan, an old person groan or something. Well, I'm, yeah, and I'm trying desperately to figure out if I can get applause here. Oh, did that work? No. No. Yeah, well, trying to get the soundboard set up. Uh, but yeah, that's, we're not going to have sound effects, I guess, for a little bit longer, but hopefully someday. And Nikki. I am Nikki Black. I'm the uh, uh, head of SME and external education, in my case, and law pay. Um, I write legal tech columns for um, ABA Journal Above the Law, The Daily Record, and others. And I also oversee and write my case in law pay's benchmark and uh, legal industry report. And um, yesterday, I bent down to get something up off the ground and I hurt my knee. Uh, um, and my daughter had to get me a heating pack like and so you know like i just literally just tried to get something on the ground and hurt my knee so uh, that's how you know you're really getting old <laughs> i'm so glad this is not just me everyone thank you <laughs> all right well in search of young blood on this panel i'll turn to steve embry <laughs> hi steve embry i write the blog tech law crossroads about legal innovation and technology and for about a month yet i will still be chair of the aba law practice division and to all of those, to all of the young people with us today that are complaining about aches and pains, I can assure you, it only gets worse. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, uh, we got for a, for a short week. There's a, a a bit of stuff to talk about this week, but probably the biggest uh, the biggest story uh, in our little world here is the whole launch of, of the so-called Twitter killer uh, threads. And uh, Nikki, I know you had kind of highlighted that as something you wanted to talk about today. But so what, what you you were probably you might have even been the first one I know who actually got on there. So what, what are you thinking about it? Oh, well, you know, it's interesting because there have been a bunch of others that have come along. Uh, but when I signed on, um, I took Wednesday off. So Thursday I signed on. And there were like three or four posts in a row on LinkedIn of people that I follow in the legal tech space who were mentioning this thing called threads. And I sort of been out of the loop because of the holiday and I Googled it and I just joined it just because, and 
lo and behold, there were quite a few people there and it definitely resembles old school Twitter. And of all the places that I've joined since Twitter started its downfall, it's the one that seems to have generated the most buzz. Um, the most people join because it's just so easy. It's like practically the click of a button. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of hard to make sense of. We've all accumulated different um, followers in different places. I know you'd mentioned this and when we were talking about it, Bob, but so like I have like people that make jewelry on Instagram. I have style stuff like women I follow for style, some legal tech people. And so it's just this strange assortment of people once I transfer my followers over. Um, so that's sort of odd as well. Um, and it's just kind of disorganized right now, but it definitely seems like there might be some potential. Um, so I thought it was worth talking about because it's the first thing to really make a buzz since um, and also the other thing I want to mention that we should talk about is that um, TweetDeck has changed and may or may not be available if you don't pay soon. And for me, like if I don't have TweetDeck, Twitter is just not usable at this point. So uh, you got to find somewhere else to go and maybe that's it. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I definitely got the whole like, you know, Twitter from like 10 years ago vibe off of it. Like just you know, the, the interface is still very kind of basic. You can't do a whole lot of things like, you know, I tried to put a, I, put, I tried to put one of those animated GIFs on my, on my, um, on a status update. I couldn't do it because you have to like download it to your phone and then put it on because they don't have the functionality yet. Um, and, you know, they don't have like, it's not so easy. Like, like for me, like, like I haven't really figured out how to like find people that I know. It's, it's more like people that they recommend for me uh, to follow. But so because it's tied to my Instagram account, it's like a lot of dog photos, a lot of, um, a lot of like, you know, soccer news, a lot of, uh, you know, um, that kind of stuff. So, but, but it's, but it's fun. It's a nice change of pace. And I think, and I think the fact that, you know, I hate to say it, but like, the, cause it's not like, it's not like, you know, Facebook meta or whatever. It's not like, it's not, not, like, not, not like they're saints or anything, but like the fact that they already had like the built-in kind of following, they had like the, the name recognition and they had the infrastructure, you know, I think, I think for a lot of people that was sort of that, but that's probably why they flocked to it as opposed to like going to like a startup, like Mastodon or like, you know, post or whatever those other ones have, have, have tried to do. Um, and you know, Hey, if, if it spares us from, if it spares us from getting that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg versus Elon Musk cage match, I'm all for it. So we'll see. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, uh, I so, understand. I understand that Mr. Musk has already sent a threatening blustering letter to, um, to Mark yeah. Zuckerberg. It's alleging that so, he's copying Twitter or something like that. But like, yeah, like so you guys, the thing, the thing that I liked about it is that, unlike mastodon and to some extent blue sky it's just it's pretty easy to use and you know it's i think that that's sort of the key to making it go because I mean, twitter twitter was pretty easy to use once it got going and uh these other other services are not quite so easy sorry joe i didn't mean to interrupt oh yeah no i was just going to jump off of that i put in the uh, chat my article about that blustery letter that quinn emmanuel sent mm -hmm. on behalf of elon uh complaining that their intellectual property is being stolen, uh, seemingly because Facebook has hired some of the computer programmers that Elon fired. Uh, that's not really how non-competes work or anything like that. So uh, don't really know how that's going to work for him. But yeah, they're complaining that uh, their IP is being stolen, which is weird to me because while vibe-wise, it feels like Twitter 10 years ago, it doesn't look really like Twitter 10 years ago, whereas Blue Sky is egregiously a clone of Twitter's main interface. Yeah, he just doesn't hate Jack Dorsey the way he hates Zuckerberg. So, yeah. yeah. 
But I agree with Nikki that it's it's interesting because like my social medias are very different. My I just use my Instagram to go onto it, and my Instagram has always been my like professional photography travel account. Nothing legal tech at all. So it's this weird blending of worlds that I just sort of am sitting back and watching right now because it doesn't make sense to me. Dennis uh, Dennis Kennedy made a point in the chat about you know sort of why why should we have confidence in Mr. Zuckerberg and any privacy concerns and. <laughs> I have to respond. I have absolutely no confidence that my privacy will be in any way, in any way, be protected. Uh, I think I think we waived all of that when we uh, when we we looked by the fact that we're most of us just on Facebook. So it's kind of like, yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, if if yeah, I mean, not to be flip about it, but like, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like I feel like all social media is going to be like that to an extent. So. You know, and look, Zuckerberg, again, I, I mean, for me, the, the, the ironic thing about the whole thing was that people turned into a political thing, like, oh, Elon Musk is the hero of, you know, conservatives that got censored, blah, 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 you know, um, uh, and, and but then but then now Zuckerberg battling that by, you know, cracking down on, on fake news. But then, for, you know, before all this happened, you know, Zuckerberg was the one who enabled a lot of Trump's um, Facebook posts and whatnot. And, 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 you know, I think they had a meeting when he was president. So it, it's funny to see how, like, the roles change based on... Um, you know, changing politics, changing you know business models uh, and and whatnot. So, no, neither of these guys are 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 you know are, are going to be like are, are, are angels or saviors or whatnot. Okay. So, I don't think you know it's it's one of the things where it's kind of like well, you know, the fact that we're the fact that you know people are on social media like you know, it's, it's almost something you have to understand them like okay, well, if if, you, if there's going to be some kind of some kind of invasion of privacy or some kind of like. Um, you know, yeah, like 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 waiver of that. If you just just just, just virtue of being on it, yeah, can't I, have that meeting with the presidency anymore because uh, the judge virus down in Louisiana put out that nationwide injunction saying that the White House and all government agencies can't talk to social media anymore. Uh, if you haven't read that, it's 155 pages of complete insanity, but uh, it is nonetheless. <laughs> the law based on how our country does things. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Joe, why would we, why would he let such a little thing like facts get in the way or, or the law? I mean. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, it is a, it is a long diatribe about how the, uh, apparently we, we were all misled and COVID isn't real and it's a conspiracy and yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Um, just, I, I, <laughs> I wish we were talking about threads. I lost track. I lost the thread of what, we're, what the heck we are talking about here. Uh, I, just on threads. I mean, I, I, I think the, the the biggest problem with threads, what are they up to like 70 million users now or something like that? But I feel like the biggest problem with threads is that it isn't Twitter. And and I, I think, I, I, I just think Twitter was something uh, that was was almost like a moment in time that uh, will will never quite be replicated. We have all these other applications trying to do that. Uh, uh, I thought there was a really interesting um, uh, uh, Sarah Glassmeyer, who's in the audience here. Uh, she gets she does a, a a Substack newsletter that I really liked, and she sent one out today where she wrote in her newsletter. Uh, she said, I don't think there will ever be a single short text-based social media service that completely captures the zeitgeist and allows for multiple cultures to discover each other and interact on somewhat neutral ground like Twitter. And that's a shame. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really kind of the problem. There's just sort of no replicating what 
what Twitter was at its at its height. Uh, unfortunately, it's not that anymore. Uh, and uh, now with the demise of TweetDeck, it's it's even worse. But the the whole um, the whole uh, Threads thing just doesn't really quite do it for me. And the the tie into Instagram just really kind of bothers me. I mean, I I went through it had to manually follow unfollow or follow people whatever. I didn't auto import it because like my Instagram is a whole different world from right. my social media. I mean, I just post little pictures of the little beach town that I live in, and 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 that's it. And, has yeah. nothing to do with the rest of my life. I don't well, want to follow all those people on on Twitter or on or on uh, threads. And I'm now wishing well, I, I had done that too, because they're now making it so that if you did use your Instagram to set it up, which may made it so easy to do, if you want to delete threads, you can't do it without deleting your whole Instagram account. Really? Which, yeah, I, I'm Weird. assuming that will eventually change maybe, but um, currently... That's what is being said. And I don't want to lose my Instagram account. I'd much rather lose my Threads account, but not my Instagram because that's been there for ever, yeah. you know? Of course, you could just leave Threads without deleting the account. I mean, if you never yeah. post again. True. We'll never know. Well, you know, and it's, which it is, it will take it some time to get going. And at some point, I assume that one of these outlets will win out and will all either be Threads or Mastodons or um, Blue Skies. But, um, in the meantime, it, I find it really difficult to find people on these alternative yeah. sites. I mean, I, I do searches and people that I think would be there, I can't find. So it's that's and that's kind of a problem. <laughs> but I will yeah. echo uh, slightly adapted. I'll echo something adapted that Nikki said, which is that I have said consistently from the beginning of Twitter's downfall: the second a competing app develops a version of TweetDeck, they win. Uh, I don't know when that's going to happen, but once somebody has that, they win. And now that Twitter doesn't even have TweetDeck, I have no idea who's going to win. And what was the story? I don't even, I didn't even know. I like one morning I woke up and started up my TweetDeck and there was like nothing there. And it was telling me I had to log yeah. in and set it all up. And I had yeah. all these different Twitter and accounts. I, I maintained various Twitter accounts. I had them all set up in there. I had all my little columns set up. And like, what the? They'll now let you see the lists that you have, but nothing else. So you can't see any of your personal feeds or whatever, like just lists. It's really, it's broken. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, and they were saying uh, yeah. they they already had said that they planned later this month to make TweetDeck only available to people that have you know paid for their verification. Right. Paid for that. It's already turning into crap. Yeah. I'm paying for um, that. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I've never been much of a thumb typer. So I need to like when I'm at a conference and I'm trying to like tweet out from a conference or something, I need the desktop version. Uh, so hopefully, uh, hopefully threads maybe will come out with the desktop version at some point. I, I mean, I read some conjecture that the reason they didn't have one is simply because they're trying to drive downloads of the app for now. And that once they get a critical mass of people downloading the app, then maybe they'll come out with a desktop version. So I can hope that that happens. Once once they it's exploit all the stole, stolen IP that they have from Twitter, <laughs> then they'll get tweeted. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It took them a long time to even develop like a functional desktop version of Instagram. Like for the longest time, you couldn't, you couldn't load, load you couldn't upload right. photos from your computer, uh, which you know may not be a problem for some people. But it's like you know, I, I had photos on my computer that I liked and I wanted to, to upload. So you know, it's so yeah, it. it I've, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a um, uh, a priority for them, but who knows? I, I mean, I'm sure if enough people want it, then they'll probably do it, right? Oh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I think mm-hmm. there's just also just like this huge social media fatigue, right? Because even if one of these Twitter killers is the Twitter killer, you know, will people enough people know? Because how? I mean, I, we're a very tech-centric group, but most people aren't there out there aren't going to be like, let me try these seven new platforms to see yeah. which one I like and test them all out equally. Like, there's a point where it's just like enough already. Well, and the whole point of the social media is to be where the people that you want to be in contact with are. And that's a, like, that's one of the problems now is, is everybody's kind of spread out. So some point, one of these, I would assume will win out, whether it's the one that I like the best or not, it's probably is irrelevant because, you know, it'll be where, where all of us are. So, I don't so forget yeah. it and just watch this show instead of. We have all the news anyway. I was not part of like the business world before computers came along. I, I honestly don't understand how everyone kept in touch. Like, did they really write each other letters? Did they, did they talk to the phone a lot? I guess. We phone called some. Yeah. And we didn't even have voicemails. You had to like, you know, you would call and you would get an administrative assistant and leave a message and they'd write a little note and they'd stick a note on your desk and you'd come back after vacation and be this many notes. (laughs) You'd crank the thing and put one. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was talking. I was talking to people I, people I went to college with, like it's kind of like what we what we used to do when we would go out and we'd have to like meet up. It's like I have to call someone's voicemail, leave yeah. a voicemail on their voicemail, and then they would have to check it and and, and then respond to me, and then I have to check it again because because no one had a phone back then. I mean, I, I remember one of my friends got a phone, um, the first person I ever knew that had one, and we were like, "Who do you think you are? You think you're like the president or something? Why you need a phone because someone's going to call you?" <laughs> so I was yeah, just we all knew. In the student union at University of Rochester, they both go there now. I used to stand in line for that telephone so I could check messages and see where all my friends were going to be, like what parties everybody was going to, because it was all in my voicemail. Well, I was just going to say, we just had regular bars and we just knew people would be there and you would show up. That's how Joe and I are friends. (laughs) Even though we went to school together, we didn't know each other from class, really. Yeah. I mean, you'd miss people a lot. (laughs) You know, to to evoke a little bit of tragedy, that is true because... On 9-11, I lived down by there and was evacuated because of it. And when I got to my law school bar, the bartenders had been fielding phone calls from people saying, let us know when Joe arrives, because this will be (laughs) inevitably where he goes when he has no home to go to, because it's the only place where I could get connected with people to take me in, you know? Wait a minute. You found bars that were open on 9-11. I was in New York that day and I couldn't find a single bar to get to. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean... So some of them were open earlier, right? Like the opening crew, if it, if it was a bar that opened at noon, like some do for the lunch crowd, their opening group were already in town, you know? So. And then they just opened their doors for everyone that were strays and wandering in. And like, yeah. I, I like Warren Egan posting in the more? chat. Go Warren Egan posted in the chat that we were, that people used to meet in person at lunch, things like that. Because I think, Warren, you can correct me. I think the first time I ever met you was you and I called, somehow got in touch and had lunch with each other many, many years ago uh, in Boston. Um, so that used to happen. And someone, I didn't even, it went by too fast, but someone made an excellent point that we just used to communicate with far fewer people. Yeah. And not as frequently, what, like, unless it yeah. was important. <laughs> you, you didn't necessarily have to be meeting with people all the time. Well, I like, I think that the takeaway lesson is that it sounds like we just all need to start drinking more so that we can prepare for face-to-face interactions and go to a lot of parties. <laughs> yeah. Or Before we all just need to get off of social media. Um, 
All right. Well, we have some. We actually have some actual like court cases and stuff to talk about this week too. Uh, uh, and uh, I don't know which one to start with. I, Nikki, I kind of want to start with yours, even though you kind of already went. But let, that you've, you've got a good case, and uh, maybe, maybe we should talk about that and then move, move on to some of the other ones. You want to fill us in on that one? Yeah, it caught my eye this morning. Um, I mean, essentially, the essence of this is that there was a contractual case in Canada um, that um, revolved around the idea of whether the thumbs up emoji uh, was an acceptance of the contract and um, it was more the headline. And I skimmed the beginning of the article. I'm not going to lie. I didn't read the whole thing, <laughs> but you know, the, the idea that a thumbs up emoji can um, be considered an agreement, uh, you know, an acceptance of a contract is pretty um, startling to me. I mean, I, I think emojis can be interpreted in many different ways. For, like, forget the fact that I don't know what they mean with my Gen Z kids, the emojis that I think mean one thing to them and even their expressions, I'm dead means it's hysterical. And when they show the dead emoji, that means it's funny. I'm like, that's not funny. <laughs> but so I don't know how you can um, even interpret what an emoji means uh, in a way that's sufficient to um, come to the conclusion that it's an acceptance of a contract. So that to me was kind of a startling and interesting uh, case. So now you're like the chat GPT lawyer. You don't even bother to read the whole thing. You just you just bring it up. Yeah. Is there you got a problem with that? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, it, it 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 makes sense. I mean, it, I remember many years ago having to research the issue of what constitutes a signature for the form of a contract, and you know, people used to think you needed to actually put your signature on paper back in the day, uh, and basically it was you know any kind of uh, clear indication of affirmative assent could could constitute a signature on a contract, and. So I guess it makes sense that a thumbs up emoji would would be a indication of uh, assent. Well, the article goes into it a little more because I, I think I think they noted that these guys have done a lot of business together and that it was standard procedure for them to, to use like very terse responses like "yep" or "okay" or you know I think that or it looks good or whatever. So you know I mean yeah, it'd be one thing if like they had like long you know had long like long back and forths with like you know lots of different like. You say, oh, you know, let, let's change this, let's do that. But I think I think they were banking on the fact that like these guys generally were on the same page. They were generally, you know, they 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 done a lot of business together, so they kind of, you know, they knew what the other person was, you know, their mannerisms were, or what you know, or what their intentions tended to be. Um, but still, yeah, I can I can see why you know there would be some some lack of clarity behind like just an emoji, like because yeah, maybe the thumbs up was okay, yeah, I got it, or 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 you know, yeah, I'll take a look, looks or or, or, or yeah, it looks good, I, I agree to it. So. So, you know, but I mean, yeah, but that's, but then, you know, that kind of puts the onus on people to be a little bit more clear and a little bit more unambiguous with their responses. So, you know, if maybe, maybe that means, you know, texting back, you know, four thumbs up or something or, you know. Or heart it. What if you heart it instead of thumbs up it? Yeah, yeah. Or, or you do the poop emoji to mean that you, that, that, that you don't agree with it or something, you know. So, so yeah, but, but, but bottom line is you probably shouldn't be using emojis in these kind of contexts unless you you know really explain beforehand okay this means you know i'm, I'm agreeing to the deal like i put my hand out like this or we do the handshake thing you know so yeah, i was i was thinking as you were talking victor there were several times in my career as a practicing lawyer that there would be a dispute whether there had been a settlement agreement or not i'm just thinking that I could see some 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 lawyer, you know giving the thumbs up to some settlement agreement and then say oh, no, 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 i don't know i didn't mean that at all and I mean, it's 
all almost in every case though at the end of the day if it if it got to the judge the judge would say you got a written signed settlement agreement no well then you don't have a settlement agreement that always turned well, out <laughs> well then eggplant 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 um <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh all right. Well, from there to a first for this show, I think, which is a discussion of forum non-convenience. Convenience? How do you yeah. even say it? I don't even remember how to say it anymore. <laughs> I've always done VNNs, but yeah, um, a forum non-case, which is also about Canada. So uh, we're all Canada, all the Canada court cases all the time today, apparently. Uh, so this is a case that I've been following just because it's a little it's procedurally a little interesting because it's kind of the flip side of the Dominion case against Fox. So that was a Canadian company suing Fox News for say, you know, for defamation. Uh, this is a Canadian broadcaster allegedly defamed a U.S. charity and the U.S. charity chose to bring the claim in the U.S. arguing that that's where they suffered all their harm. The flip side of that is it's a lot easier to win a defamation case up there because you don't have actual malice but they wanted to do it in the u.s because that's where they felt they suffered harm whatever uh that's neither here nor there for this particular article what struck me about the most recent opinion in this article i mean in this case is that the case gets to stay it survived its motion to dismiss or partially and some claims were kicked but the forum non-argument uh, was was denied, and so the case is going to stay in the U.S. But the forum non-argument, what got me is interesting about it, is it largely turned on some of these legal tech issues we talk about all the time. Uh, it's a moment where legal tech actually had a substantive impact on law, not just one about making yourselves a little more efficient or collecting bills a little bit better. You actually could win or lose the case, the argument you want based on it. And what the court determined was all of the Canadian broadcasting companies' arguments why we can't do this in the U.S. because all the documents are up in Canada. And the court was like, what do you mean up and just put them in the put them in the cloud. We're going to look at them all on on some <laughs> e-discovery platform anyway. Uh, and it struck me that this is this is where we are. And when I started researching a little bit more for this case, I actually found that in 2014, there had been a case that where someone had made the argument that like, look, forum non really doesn't mean anything for documentary evidence anymore because e-discovery. And the court ultimately didn't pull the trigger on it, uh, said that they were sympathetic to it, but determined that, yeah, no, this case should be in England, whatever. So we've come a long way since 2014. And now we recognize that sometimes these, especially in forum non, which is about what the convenient venue is, the develop the march of technology is going to change what the substance of that body of law says. Yeah, I mean, let alone e-discovery, just email. I mean, the, the fact that yeah. documents are electronic right. and can right. be transmitted anywhere in the world. It's uh I mean I mean it probably I mean there is a sort of an e-discovery angle to it because you do have to deal with uh, collecting documents uh, from different custodians and all, all that sort of an issue, I guess, if, it, if it's anything complicated. But but uh, yeah, that's, that's that's really kind of interesting. Well, it's, uh, and it's, it, you know, the other piece of that, too, is the, you know, it was the test. It always hinged on where the documents were and where the witnesses were. And so but now you can say with with remote depositions and Zoom depositions, 
even where the witnesses are may not be as important as it used to be. Right. True. I said something really funny or really stupid. It was Joe's laughing. <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm just catching up Joe's on the comments. And real... and laughing at us. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm catching up on the comments and learning that no one is listening to me. So, um... yeah, no, Joe's on threads right now trying to catch up with what's going on there. Um, all right. Well, uh, so uh, from that case, we have uh, uh, a, a uh, well, we talked, Victor, we talked already about a little bit about Joe kind of talked about the case that you're going to talk about this week um, on the uh, judges ruling uh, on uh, the sort of banning uh, the U.S. government from uh, uh, bugging uh, social media companies, I guess. Uh, is there anything more that you wanted to point out about that? No, it's just it was a little it was a little it was a little shocking to read it. I mean, I guess yes and no, right? I mean, <laughs> but but still, like yeah, I mean, this idea of like, okay, well, you know, we should be allowed to say whatever we want with no consequences, and you know, you and, and you and you guys can't do anything about it. That's that's kind of been at the crux of a lot of what a lot of these what a lot of these cases and what a lot of these people complaining about, you know, have have have, have been after all along. Uh, but one thing, one thing I kind of like the uh, like, like what people people talked about was how the sort of like a took, took like a Potter Stewart approach to porn. Like I know when I see it, uh, that never that never works out. <laughs> Frankly, it's it, it's <laughs> this whole thing is just one gigantic mess. But you never know. You never know what could happen when the case goes up. Um, you know. Uh, so you know, I mean, the Fifth Circuit tends to be a pretty conservative one. Um, but you know, and then obviously the Supreme Court. There's no no telling what what they might do. So it'll, it'll be interesting. I did not read. I forget what Joe says. A hundred and something pages long. I, I have yeah. not read any of it. Uh, but I mean, is is there any any meat to it at all in terms of the First Amendment issues here? I mean, the, the, you know, the, I read the. I think it was the quote in the ABA Journal's story uh, saying where the judge said, you know, the, the, this isn't uh, the, the the First Amendment applies to everybody, and uh, this is where I'm applying this here without regard to political affiliation or leaning. Uh, is there anything to that? I mean, it was more, it was more like a thing where it was like, okay, he's the way, the way I read it and feel free to correct me if, uh, if I'm wrong, was that, was that, it's one of those like preliminary rulings where it's like, okay, well, if what they're saying is true, then it would be the worst, the most egregious violation of the first amendment in the history of mankind. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, he's so, so the judge kind of like, you know, put this ruling in place, but, but, he would, but, but then there would be like, you know, it would then proceed to like whatever the next step is, I guess, uh, discovery or whatever. Um, and then um, I'm, I'm barring appeals and whatnot, but like, so so it was more along the lines of like, okay, well, if kind of like, it wasn't a motion to dismiss, but like, or, or summary judgment, but kind of like looking at it, looking at it in that vein, if, if, if what they're saying is true, that, 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 that the government stepped in and told the social media um, platforms, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that, then, then, then it would be censorship, even if, even if, even if the you know um, what what they were saying you know what uh, was to combat misinformation 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 whatever um, so it was more it was more along those lines but just just the fact that like he went that step and and obviously you know the, the very quotable lines then got quoted on you know uh, news channels and 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 political political shows and, and and things like that social media obviously so it definitely kind of there was the veneer of like there's okay well. Um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we're we're gonna, give, we're gonna, I'm gonna issue the sweeping ruling about that that could potentially upend like 
you know, decade, you know, centuries of precedent, but it wasn't quite that step, but, you know, it was more along the lines of like, well, if you guys, if we're, we're, we're going to continue, we're going to continue with, with the fact finding, but if you guys are right, then you guys, you know, are, are going to, are going to, you know, are, are going to completely, you know, destroy the government on, on, uh, on, on the merits. So that, that's how I read it, but, you know, but obviously, you know, the, you know, the tone and the, and the, you know, the tone of it and the fact that like it, it, it applied to something like, it applied to you know like the um, um, COVID and whatnot, where there was so much misinformation and so much polarization of it. Kind of, I think, I think definitely kind of made it have more of an impact. Yeah, yeah. Like there's an he doesn't go all the way to saying that the those efforts that get made by government agencies to be in contact with social media about you know catching terrorists and stuff. He doesn't necessarily go all the way to that. But the fact that he doesn't go all the way to that is kind of the point, right? Like he he goes in this 155 page screed into all sorts of right-wing media, right-wing blogger, not even mainstream media, right-wing blogger uh, driven narratives about how COVID wasn't real and stuff. And like, it was all overblown and they were like trying to push it, which, you know, one say what you will about that, but like, it's not really any different than the hype that someone gives over anti-terrorism efforts. And if you think it's a, First Amendment violation for one, why wouldn't it be for another? So like his effort to say like, oh, I'm being neutral about this kind of collapses on itself the more exceptions he makes. It was really weird. Yeah. Did, did he bring Robert Kennedy into it at all? It could have brought some Democratic. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Um, steroid Democrat boy is not brought up. <laughs> yeah. But it sounds a little bit like a prior restraint issue. Is that is that certain? Was did, did they talk about that at all in the opinion? I guess again, I haven't read the opinion. I don't know if you have, but yeah, it's you know, just they, that they, uh, yeah. it's it's just that the agencies are not allowed to go talk to um, talk to them for fear that what they're doing is using their power to silence speech. Um, so in some ways, he's he's kind of arguing that he you need this injunction to avoid prior restraints because the agencies are basically bullying social media into squelching speech out of hand is kind of what he's trying to do. But yeah, yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, continuing our journey through uh, first year of law school here, we uh, Stephanie has a uh, a uh, a lawsuit that's been filed that has some interesting implications. Yes, yes it's products liability now, but like Nikki <laughs> said, it sounds like an SVU case. Um, a, a GPS company was sued for its role, and they they created a tracker that you can stick under a car, like literally, like you see in the movies, that somebody used to stalk and his ex girlfriend and follow her across state lines and kill her and her new boyfriend. Um, and so the company is now being sued for the products liability aspect of it. I guess there's a dispute about consent, which the consent argument is really weird to me, but. Um, I would start by saying, if you don't want a lawsuit like this, you shouldn't name your com- company Spy Tech. Um, and also, <laughs> it is very much tar- it's advertised as basically like this is a great tool for stalkers. So I, it, it's interesting to me because I don't feel like most of the products liability I remember studying was not stuff like this. And like Nikki, I like a good SBU case. But, um, the consent argument is weird because they're saying because there's a difference between Missouri law and New York law, and this is a New York case where they're saying there's it could be more safely designed to need consent, but like it has to be placed inside the car. And I'm like, how would you even know? Right. 
Right. Spy, spy yeah. tech is going to be designed so that the person being spied on has to consent to its right. in the car. Yeah, that's going to I think it's I think it's a pretty tough case for the plaintiffs, to be quite honest, because um, you know you you always get into this foreseeability and causation kind of issues with things like this. It's the old the old for one of the nail, the kingdom was lost kind of thing. And so you know that I, I, I won several cases by arguing that you know you manufacture a product, you don't you're not charged with the duty that somebody's going to commit a crime. It might involve your product, for example. You don't have to. You don't have to. Um, it's 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 not foreseeable that an arsonist would light a fire in the building and catch your product on fire. And, but like, what that if would, you... that would contribute to the to the death or harm of people? So that that would be kind of an issue. Yeah, but you know, so but foreseeability always kind of gets into okay, what's what's really foreseeable in the in the eyes of the makers? It's foreseeable that somebody would stalk and somebody else and commit murder. It, but how far back up do you want to go with the causation oh, chain right. with that? You know, I mean, well, but for the fact that that somebody manufactured the car, this wouldn't have happened. You know, well, okay. You know, at some point you have to yeah. say that's just too far attenuated. But oh, wait, you know, did, did you used yeah, to defend these anymore. heartless soulless manufacturers, Steve, in your career? These... Most of the time, yes. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how, how could how could you possibly tell? <laughs> but I feel like that's where it gets back to this being called spy tech and it really being advertised and promoted for this use. Like like you said with the arson example, like if you made matches and put stuff all over it, being like the best matches for arson, like that would be a different story, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But, oh, well, but and also... that would that would that would get right to the heart of the foreseeability issue. I mean, if you're specifically saying these are great matches for arson, it sort of would suggest it's foreseeable to you that somebody is an arsonist would use it for that purpose. Well, so... but I don't think that you can manufacture a product and pretend you don't know what it's going to be used for. And I think what, what comes to mind for me is um, Apple's AirTags. Right? They were they were created initially for this idea of don't lose track of your luggage, don't lose track of your keys. But what are they being used for oftentimes to the detriment of women is they're super easy to slip into someone's bag. You know, you're on the street and you see a cute woman, you slip it into her bag or, and, and to track somebody. And and so there's all sorts of TikToks about this because people are getting notifications that someone's following them, you know, and I, I get them all the time because my, my, my family has a bunch of air tags and you know, every time my husband shows up, that tells me that he's following me. But, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe he is. <laughs> but, but like, it's a real problem. He wants to know what you're doing every Friday afternoon at three o'clock. <laughs> Not who, very who, who are these retrobates <laughs> that you hang out with every Friday afternoon at three? <laughs> it's nothing suspicious. <laughs> um, but uh, it's you know that this. I think that even if that wasn't what apple purported that they would be used for they're being used for that purpose so you need to start taking steps if it truly at that point you're on notice that your product is being used in a certain way and it particularly if your product is called spy tech or whatever versus air yeah, tech. Spy tech. Mm-hmm. yeah but well and, and and to your point nikki i mean that's kind of what apple did when they first came out i don't think they had quite the protections that they do now in terms of letting you know that you might be being stalked <laughs> So that would suggest lend some credence to to your argument. Yeah, credence to my argument. I agree. <laughs> it was brilliant. No, but and also like air tags, I can see more arguable valid like valid uses than hidden under your car trackers. 
They're the things that are meant to be hidden. I mean, again, there's a lot of line drawing. And like I like Sarah just said in the comments, like people don't stop to think how could your service be abused? But that one seems meant for it's not like they're marketing it to private investigators, you know. Well, even that's spying. I mean, there there is no, you know, open use for a spy tracking uh, device that hitches by magnetic uh, attachment under on the other side of a car. I mean, that's whoa, not something. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it sounds like somebody's never seen Batman before. <laughs> like they're in that utility belt for a reason. <laughs> Batman is spying. Um, that's what he's doing. Spider-Man also has them, I guess, right? Because he he would occasionally drop with, eh, whatever. He can just <laughs> follow with the web thing. And the thing is like really thin, smaller than an iPhone and black. It's not like the ones you see in the movies where it's like a blinking yellow or blinking red light. Yeah. Well, if Batman had just put one on the Joker, then he <laughs> wouldn't have had to use the whole like cell phone thing with like the, the tracking of yes. like, work to, yeah. I mean, it would, it would be the, so much the, easier the, than, like, than violating my fourth amendment rights, right? The the really, really awkward and heavy handed uh, Patriot Act analogy that we got. Yeah, it would have been, he could have done that. Well, the other problem I think is more often than not, not the government using these trackers. It's a man trying to, you know, follow his wife or his ex-wife or his ex-girlfriend. I mean, who else is going to be using this realistically? Well, like, and apparently so, so she you're... had already taken all the steps to like block him from tracking her you know, all the other ways, like through find like all the, the phones and everything. And like, so when those didn't work, he went to spy tech. Right. To solve his problem. Right. So. So you're raising issues with a man do a man doing it, and we're raising issues with the man doing it. It's all man doing it. Yeah, like right? that's that's what we need to yeah. That's the lesson we've learned today. <laughs> the takeaway from this session. All right. Well, I mean, but I'm you know maybe not so much with Spotek, but a lot of these devices they they do have other uses besides you know. Well, what hypotheticals? Give me a couple reasonable yeah. hypotheticals that are that are well. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted, if you wanted to know where your teenager was going every Friday night and how right. much he or she was lying to you, or if you wanted, that's to, still if, spying, if somebody, Steve. It's just spying on somebody different, uh, right? But it's spying in a way that's arguably legal. Um, so there, there <laughs> well, is and, that. And, uh, and what about the the you know the the, the, the people that are sentenced, sentenced to home confinement? I, I can see a use there. You have a device put on their car. But the government oh, yeah. has that theoretically. Uh, but uh, what if you have a car in a neighborhood where there's a lot of uh, a lot of car theft? You know, it's valuable to have a track tracker on it. Like I can Maybe see legitimate uses. A family member with dementia. You know, yeah, yeah. Fa- oh, yeah. Avoid silver alerts. Yeah. No, like there there are reasons like put, put but I mean, this goes color, back you know? to your. This goes back to your original point, though, right? Like all these technologies begin with a lot of good, valid, logical reasons that then get really ugly. Uh, and they just like jump to ugly because, as Stephanie points out, they name themselves spy tech. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is that is a problem. <laughs> not right, well, not well, uh, well, care well, tech stock, stock or, or anything like that. Was taken, so yeah. <laughs> Finding your keys. Uh, all right. Well, to talk about something completely off topic, uh, Steve has a story about legal tech and innovation, <laughs> or, or the lack thereof, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, this was a Thomson Reuters report that came out not this week, but maybe last week. And um, I think I, I read a couple of places that it made, enough news last week. Made it may have been the report actually may have been written by Zach Warren, who used to be on this 
on the show. But it was uh, what Thomson Reuters did is surveyed about 115 firms and interviewed uh, COOs and managing partners to see how much they had, uh, what kind of strategic plans they had for digital transformation and um, and innovation, which it, in these days and times is kind of important, right? Because of all the, the rapidity of change that chat GPT and other large language models have brought. But the findings were kind of, I thought were a little surprising. You know, a, a great preponderance of the people interviewed said, oh yeah, it'd be really important to have a, a strategy in place for dealing with digital digital transformation and innovation. Despite that, about half said they they had such a plan, uh, had such a strategic plan in place, and and of that, about half of those said, "Yeah, yeah, we 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 have this strategic plan in place, but we really don't have any way to measure how we're doing with the plan." Which you know is like, what's the old saying? You know, if you if you want to manage something, you have to measure it, or if you want, or the other part of that is. You know, if, if you don't measure it, it doesn't exist. So I suspect that of the half that say they actually had uh, plans, uh, I suspect that's a little a little wobbly. <laughs> I think I suspect that the not 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 all of them had an actual plan in place to to look at it. And you know, the other thing that occurred to me, I was listening today to the to Dennis Kennedy's and Tom Miles podcast, and they had Ivy Gray on of, of WordRake and. She was making the, the point that there's a difference between goals and strategies. And uh, I, I wonder of uh, these firms that say they have a strategy in place, do, do they even know what their goal is with the strategy, uh, which is kind of a first first step. But it, it all reminded me years ago when I was I, I was having a conversation with Aaron Street of the Warriors about innovation in law firms. And he said, well, you know, there are firms that really want to innovate, and then there are firms that just want to say they want to innovate. And I kind of had that sense in looking at some of these findings that a lot of these firms wanted to say they had strategic plans in place. When we got right down to it, they probably don't, and they're probably not very robust. Um, the other thing I thought was surprising that of, of, the, of the firms that said they had a plan in place, only about a third of them actually consulted and talked to their clients <laughs> formulating the plan, which I, I thought that was one of the reasons we all existed was to serve our clients. But eh, who wants to talk to those guys about anything? They're just trains in the butt, right? So uh, so it was all you know kind of kind of surprising as I read through this. Maybe surprising is the wrong word. I mean, we it's always been sort of Law firms are slow to, to, to do things and adopt. and uh, But, um, you know, with everything that's going on, maybe a year from now, there'll be a better percentage. But this was a little bleak, at least in my yeah, I, I thought that, well, it was bleak. I thought the fatal flaw in the whole survey was exactly the point you just made, which is it, it's, it's basically self-reporting around innovation initiatives. Right. And it, it's not a very, it's not very reliable to ask law firms how they're doing on innovation because they're all going to tell you they're doing great things. Right. Uh, and, and uh, you know, even if they don't, even if they're downplaying it a little bit in terms of what they're doing, they're probably exaggerating what they're actually doing. Right. Uh, and I, I was remembering, I don't, I don't think he maintains it anymore, but if you, know, if you remember Dan Lena did that innovation index for a while where mm -hmm. he was trying to mm -hmm. kind of rank the, the larger law firms by, how innovative they are and 
he intentionally did not go ask the law firms about right. what they're doing. Instead, he tried to come up with sort of objective measures of, of you know, uh, of uh, what kinds of technology a firm is using or what kind of training they have around technology or things like that, and, and then rank them according to that. Uh, I mean, the problem with that, again, is, is that it was really hard to keep up and you kind of still had to rely on their websites and, and, and other sources right. of information that provided some of that information. So even that was an objective. But uh, I mean, it's, you know, if you ask a law firm if it's innovative, it's going to say, oh, yeah, we're innovative. <laughs> and, and that's why I thought that statistic about the firms that actually had some measurables was sort of confirmed a lot of that. I mean, that's the first thing you would do with any strategic plan, no matter what. You, you have to have measurables to see if you're meeting your, your goals and strategies. If you don't have them, then what's the, I mean, the plan's sort of meaningless. And so that many, that those, that few percentage that actually had said that they had, to your point, Bob, said that they had a way to measure what they were doing, really sort of sort of suggests the very thing you're saying. It's all bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> well, not all, maybe speaking, most of it. Speak, speaking, <laughs> speaking of measure, measurables, you know what's a very big measurable is money. And sometimes we learn how much money people in legal tech make. Bob? <laughs> See, I'm doing transitions for you because you oh, couldn't do them you, for yourself. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, well, there, yeah, so there was this story uh, this week, this news came out of, uh, I think it was the Wall Street Journal did a story on the 10 highest paid CEOs in the technology world, uh, and who'd have thunk it, but one of them uh, on the list is um, uh, a CEO of a, uh, e-discovery company, um, the uh, CEO of, uh, uh, of, uh, uh, of Disco um, and uh, Kiwi Camera. And uh, he had a compensation package in 2022 of, was it about $110 million, uh, more than the CEO of Apple, as the article pointed out. Um, you know, in a year in which the company was valued at a total of only, I think, about 500 million, in a year in which the company, is, the company went public in, was it 2021 that they went public or 2020? I forget now. But, you know, in which their, their stock pretty much tanked during that year. Um, and, uh, you know, in, I mean, in, in fairness, uh, he didn't actually earn all of that. A lot of that was in stock options that he would be entitled to get if if the stock performance meets certain targets or according to the article if he leaves the company <laughs> uh so uh i'd choose leave the company if i were him um because i don't see the stock, <laughs> stock options meeting any any dramatic targets uh but it's just just a, a bizarre story i mean he's he's an interesting character in, in so many ways you know, the, was it the youngest guy ever to graduate from Harvard Law School? He had some controversy while he was uh, at uh, Harvard Law School for posting something that uh, had some racist uh, tones to it. Uh, it but uh, you know, super super bright guy, and, and always a really interesting guy to talk to, uh, and uh, great at breaking up fistfights in the Empire State Building, uh, as, as I understand it. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> All right. So, um, yes, that didn't 
happened. Uh, there was a fist fight at a <laughs> disco fight at a disco party in the Empire State Building. And several of us were waiting to go to that party and didn't get to go because of said fist fight. There is no reason to believe that Kiwi was in any way involved in that. <laughs> Other than I wrote an April Fool's Day thing to these folks, making it seem like I had worked out that he was responsible for it. And a few of them were like, wait, 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 what? So I tried to pull a fast one, but no, that, that didn't really happen. I'm saying this for all the defamation If, if broke purpose. up the fight, it would make him seem heroic. That would be a good thing. But we did all have to leave. That we was did all have to leave the outside the elevator. We were the first yeah. people that couldn't go up because of that fight. Yeah. It was horrible. Um, <laughs> but it's still, I was still just amazed by it. And, and I, I, I just, I, I made me, I mean, it made me, one thing it made me think about is how we really have no idea what, what CEOs of legal tech companies, let alone other tech companies are getting paid. You know, none of them are public, I mean, except for a couple. Uh, and uh, we just have so little information about that. Uh, and uh, it would be something that would be really fascinating to be to know more about. Yeah, I was really surprised. I read that headline at one point. Um, and then when I think I read your article that it was someone from legal tech, I was so surprised. And never in a million yeah. years would I have assumed that the person who was referred to in the article, and I only read the headline, was someone in legal tech. So it was pretty crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, especially I mean, with the companies that, with the CEOs that he was up there with, I mean, it was like what BlackRock, Blackstone, sorry, um, you know, uh, Hertz, Peloton. I mean, yeah, like like these these the, 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 like the fact that he's up there with those CEOs that, that that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, again, in fairness, I said his his base salary was five hundred thousand, and almost the rest of that was uh, was stock options. But then the year before, he had had a salary of a million dollars, or maybe that was salary plus stock options again. Um, but uh, not not what not what legal tech journalists get paid. Not not quite. <laughs> yeah. But we're not telling. We're not public. Um, the other CEOs are sitting small. CJ Wester says. Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> On that note, what silence. else? Do we have the silence I know is it, coming. I know, it, I, know <laughs> I know it. It's just, it's just suddenly, you know, I mean, the other funny thing I think is just that for, for years, it felt like the, the legal tech field was a, a, a area of struggling companies, not getting super rich, not making a lot of money. Uh, and obviously that's been changing. And, uh, you know, the, the eye-opening, uh, the uh, jaw-dropping, rather, purchase last week of a couple weeks ago of Case Text, uh, and then hearing about CEOs getting compensation like that, just really underscores the fact that uh, this this ain't your grandmother's legal tech anymore. Yeah, now you can win forum non motions. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. No, but I think Cassandra just did an article yesterday or today looking at you know even though investment is down. It's everything is generative AI right now. Obviously, we know this, but that the few investments we're seeing are that. And there was that French company Mistral who got 110 million dollar funding and doesn't even have a product yet in AI. There's a French AI company. Someone gave them 110 million and they don't have a single product. So you don't I need feel like that. Might don't need Kiwi who said I just happen to have 110 million dollars sitting around. <laughs> yeah, you don't need right. a product or a company to get a Supreme Court decision these days. Why wouldn't you be need? <laughs> Why would you need any to get anything else? Ooh, or a website, you know? Like 
Yeah. All right. Anything else? We beat these horses dead into the ground. Uh, all right. We, uh, I think that does it for this week. And then uh, who's going to AAAL of, of all of you? Stephanie. I am. Sorry, I can't. Nobody else. It's a, right. game time de- it's a game time decision for me. So we'll see. <laughs> it's the one right. show I want to add to my calendar. And then obviously I, things came up. But uh, but yeah, I, I can't make it. But I did just register for ILTA officially. So because you have to create too. a weird ILTA email account, I guess. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Which I really thought dip- I had done. But then I also got the email. Right. Being me, like, too. Yeah. me too. Me too. Yes. Too. It, and it took, it took me 20 minutes as difficult to, as possible it took me 20 yes. minutes to figure out how to, how to change my password because the old one wouldn't work and i was <laughs> it needs to be 15 characters long which i understand uh-huh. is like theoretically the rule but like holy cow like come on but i really thought i had registered before uh, me too. Who's gonna, me too. Who's gonna yeah. log in and steal my ilta password like come on now <laughs> Anybody who is coming to AAAL, which Stephanie knows this, but there's also, I think on Wednesday, which is the last day of that conference, there's the like first ever Boston legal tech meetup thing or something. I, I forget what we're calling it, but uh, we brought together a bunch of people who are involved in legal tech in the Boston area. And I'm actually moderating a panel there on, oddly enough, a panel on how Boston is like a hotbed of legal tech development or something with two of the panels have nothing to do with legal tech. So I don't quite understand what we're going to talk about, but it'll be interesting nonetheless. So uh, if you're in Boston for double AAL, hang around on Wednesday afternoon and come to that as well. It's no Toronto. You're right, Joshua. All right. (laughs) That does it for this week. And I hope everybody has a great weekend and we will back be back here again next Friday. I hope to see you all then. Yeah. Long everybody.